Welcome to ITB's Travel Hero podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Lamp-Davies, with management consultancy, A Bright Approach. Today, we are delighted to welcome Hermione Joy, who is sector lead at travel and vertical search for APAC at Google. We're going to talk about some recent research conducted by Google, which digs into patterns and trends of the APAC traveler. So, welcome, Hermione. Thank you, Charlotte. It's a pleasure to be here with you all. Uh, indeed, the pleasure is all ours. But uh, please, to kick us off, tell us a little bit about yourself, your career path, and how you landed at Google. Sure. I'm 11 years at Google and nine years um, working for Google in Singapore in the travel industry. It's been quite stable, I guess, <laughs> versus, versus everything else. Um, I started my career actually in creative agencies and then um, in TV uh, media selling. And then I moved across thinking the internet might take off Yeah, just over 10 years ago. And it's been a great journey um, ever since. I've, I've absolutely loved it. Um, I particularly, I, I think I've stayed wedded with travel because of how dynamic the industry is and how incredibly versatile and talented um, the, the, the both the brands are and the people. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, you were certainly right to say that the internet or, or to think that the internet would, would take off. Uh, good call. Uh, we are, as I say, we're delighted to have you here as our travel hero today. So uh, let's, without any further ado, let's dive in and talk about this recent research which was conducted by Google. Um, Maybe you can give us a little a little background and highlight why the findings are essential when it comes to understanding the ways of the APAC traveller. Sure. So um, we've just launched uh, Google Ipsos Research, uh, and it was a, um, a study that we undertook across this year, um, uh, both quantitative and qualitative. It was a very robust study, um, and we wanted to understand, um, we surveyed over 19,000 consumers, and we wanted to understand their intentions for travel, how they wanted to travel, if they wanted to travel again, um, going into this, uh, moving into the next 12 months. Uh, it was important for us to understand this because, I mean, quite frankly, the world has been very volatile for the travel industry over the last three or four years. Um, you know, we obviously had a boom in 2019. We came to a crashing halt in 2020, early 2020. And then we lived through a very diverse uh, and unusual time of border closures, border reopenings, um, things like vaccinated travel lanes coming up. Um, and then, of course, the arrival of revenge travel. Um, off the back of that, we wanted to understand how sustainable the growth and the momentum was and also what were consumers or travelers looking from for their travel um, what what made them motivated them to travel and um, why they wanted to travel because our sense was that things would have changed quite dramatically year on year um, you know in 2021 with and 22 it was really about the revenge travel luxury living making the most of everything um getting away and, and connecting with families and so we wanted to understand what the what travelers you know going into sort of a more inflationary harder economic times what were making them tick and why they were still choosing to travel mm. Can you divulge a little bit around, I mean, very deep research, obviously, um, and again, we, we very much look forward to you presenting at, at ITB uh, Asia very shortly, uh, but what sort of broader travel trends are you seeing across the region now, right now? 
Yeah, so I'll start with motivations because you know that that's probably <laughs> number one underpinning thing um, uh, for people to understand. I think when they came out of the pandemic, the number one motivation was like healing and stress relief. Uh, um, that that's what the revenge traveler was out to do. Um, moving into this um, normalization and when travel has become part of everyday life again. And we're seeing quite a diverse set of motivations. Uh, people are interested in traveling for adventure. Um, there's a high correlation for personal and need for personal growth. Uh, and that basically people want to create experiences beyond just the usual sightseeing. And they're seeing travel as an enabler to enrich them personally um, and also something that they're able to share with other people and that's what they're craving for. Um, secondly, we're seeing that continued theme that travel is this ultimate luxury, but I think again with the revenge travel previously, it was about luxury travel, going hard or going home, whereas now, um, you know, we're in higher inflationary periods, what we're seeing is that travel really is luxury. So it doesn't matter whether you're traveling three star, two star or five star, the ability to travel, to unwind, to invest in personal growth and to create experiences is, is what people are now assimilating with the term of luxury. So less about um, physical items like handbags or material possessions and more about creating those moments and those experiences that really matter. And what we're finding is that when you know, we're talking to travelers or, or consumers, they're happy to forego other luxury or excess um, items like gym memberships or fine dining in order to save for that travel experience because it's it's their number one. I mean, it gives them a release from work uh, and they really value it, a release from day-to-day -day life, which I think anyone who's been in the pandemic, um, uh, lived through the pandemic, really values now. And then because there's such a growing population of Gen Zs and millennials, really to be able to share your experience and create experiences that are visual and um, memorable, things that these, these people are desiring. The other thing that we find is that people are still sensitive to price and flexibility is still top of mind. And with that, what we're seeing quite dramatically is that on average, when we spoke to consumers, they would change their trip um, destination more than twice um, uh, when they were going through that research period. And often half of them ended up booking somewhere different. So we, we're finding that consumers are a little bit more fickle, but they're price driven. So maybe they wanted to go to the beach destination in Maldives, but uh, throughout their researching and dream phase, they found a beautiful spot in Vietnam uh, and the price was right. And so they're not wedded to one destination. There's really so much in this, which is it's fascinating, the whole piece of that research. I find certainly the term luxury, it's massive, it's very broad, isn't it? Because whether you travel for a five-star experience or a two-star experience, it's still considered luxury that in your life you want to travel over so many other things. So that's what I mean by, by luxury being quite a broad term these days, as you say, forego other things for, for actually travel. And I think that's a global trend. We've seen that elsewhere, not just in, in the APAC region. And then there's, the, then there's the kind of the price match. 
And again, maybe because the world is getting smaller to some extent, in our view, it, you know, let's let's try this destination if it fits the budget. Um, and that, you know, I found certainly in your research was very obvious. I mean, there was, in general terms, my next question was kind of around that because um, it really did occur to me that the APAC travellers, the region seems to be undertaking much deeper research as part of the planning process. Maybe that was my understanding of it, but it certainly looks as if it's deeper than it might be for other parts of the world. And my question to that is, what does that mean for the travel companies trying to attract these travellers? Because I guess they need to be present on so many different platforms in order to get a fair slice of the cake, really. Yeah, I think because of the makeup um, of the APAC region, having the largest percentage of Gen Zs uh, and millennials combined here, and also because of the, just generally in the world, the rapid digital acceleration adoption and things like that that happened during the pandemic and the lockdowns and the lockdowns were so arduous and long in this region um it's made people really comfortable with digital and so what we're seeing out of that um that the apac traveler is that they're digital native and at times often digital only. So they'll start and complete their journey um, using only digital touch points. But bear in mind, there's a lot. So at any one time, they may use up to 120 different touch, touch points and 20 different sort of platforms to make before they make that but booking journey. And what we're also seeing um, is that because of language and also the fact that the rise of many of these travellers has happened with the digital world already um, being in place versus me where I thought the internet might become a thing. I am at the top of millennials, so that's why I but just scooping in in that bracket. Um, these these consumers, are they, they search differently. So they often go to video platforms first for their ideas and inspirations and that's where they'll come into it. And so brands need to think about that because no longer is digital like um, one of the spokes on the strategy. Digital is the strategy and how do you then make sure that every business unit is digitized so that you're able to be with the customer wherever they are in that journey. And then how are you utilizing um, such a linear platform like video and content? Because it's really important, especially for brands that aren't local, video can transcend language barriers and also education barriers much more than text. And so you're able to give through the message of your brand and what you're trying to convey uh, probably more simply or easier for the consumer to digest. As well, video um, is really a point of reference that they use for authenticity. So they're looking for video content and review content to make sure that you know, if they've, they've chosen their luxury travel and they're going to choose this destination, they want to make sure that it looks and feels like the actual thing. They don't want to be disappointed because travel is this milestone moment for them. And also what we've seen is um, for brands to be aware is that, you know, the research through takeoff journey is around 120 days. So it's long. Um, and what we've seen is that it varies by country in, in APAC, but um, on average, the booking window has increased by 25%. So for like hotels in APAC, people are booking them around 50 days out on average. And um, for flights, they're booking 20% higher than pre-COVID around 60 days out. So you really need to be there for all moments because they're not only taking longer to do it, they're using more digital platforms to decide. Um, when they they're fickle, so they're no longer like loyal to one brand or destination. So you need to be in all those moments and you need to assure them it's a big deal to travel um, and there's a lot of expectations so they want to get it right. 
Yeah, I, I'm really fascinated by what you are saying in and around uh, the travel companies actually reaching the audience, and we have to think differently. But fascinating that you know, video games is a massive inspiration when people book their holidays, and of course, movies. Right? I don't know why, but the ABBA movie springs to mind. Everybody's been to that Greek island by now, right? It's uh, it's just one of those things. But it's obviously not just in APAC. It's a very important platform to be aware of when you're attracting that uh, the traveller, I guess. Yeah, and there's been, I mean, like many. TV destinations have made destinations very popular like Sardinia recently, the rise of Sardinia or Hawaii um, because of certain Netflix shows. But also video content, is it, it's not just games, it, it's also content itself because, again, as, as I said, it's linear. So they consume video as an entertainment and as a research tool. So you kind of need to be there for both and think about that when you're deliberating on your strategy to engage. The other thing I think vis-a-vis like um, other markets is it um, and other regions and also pre-COVID, these travellers, these APAC travellers um, have a high desire for personalization. So if you give them their data, they want you to use it in a respectful manner, but they, they expect a personalized experience and they're willing to pay more for personalization. A company that speaks to them in their language, knows their motives and their preferences. You know, for me, I have a young family, three children. So, you know, I'm going to really value that company that like, you know, puts a free cot in the bedroom. Uh, but it's both expectations and personalizations. You know, if, if I hand over my data, then I'm expecting you to take notice of it um, and being intuitive about it. Uh, and then also I think payments, you know, that APAC Traveller is, as I've said multiple times, digital, but payments are part of that process. They expect a very seamless payment process and for you to be able to, um, or you being a brand, to be able to manoeuvre multiple payment platforms, whether it's, you know, WeChat payment or pay now through DBS, like in Singapore, Thailand, or transfer, um, credit cards, uh, you name it, they want to be able to use it. It's, it's no longer is, you know, the, the cash is king. Mm, I think that particularly is very interesting considering that many in the West, uh, we've sort of resigned ourselves to the fact that nobody understands how to use our data <laughs> or, or indeed, you know, how to actually take our payments in the way that we prefer. It's just sort of, we've just had to resign ourselves. And, and here we see the, the, a, a very big difference with, with the, with, in the APAC region, that's just no longer good enough. And maybe we, we shift a little bit. Can we talk a little bit about how APAC itself is faring as a tourist destination? Absolutely. It's one of my favourite topics. So obviously our recovery has been slightly uh, um, slower than the US and EMEA because we had more border restrictions and we were waiting for the two mega markets to open. So Japan opened in Japan uh, in October and much to many surprise, China opened in um, uh, uh January. So that gave us a real boost. Um, and, and and those China being the biggest feeder market in the world has has launched our recovery into this year where it was delayed versus US and EMEA previously. Uh, and when we're seeing um, off the back of that, what we're seeing is that, you know, now APAC has 25% of the top destinations that are um, popular and two out of, of the top five destinations have made it into the top 10 list. And so it, it, we're seeing that interest is rising. We're seeing you know, larger um, volume for travel on digital platforms like ours on search um, than pre-2019. So demand is high um, for both international and domestic. And we're also seeing nuances. Obviously, APAC is a very diverse region. So 
every market has slight um, variances in terms of destinations they want to um, they want to visit. For example, India, it's really driving the outbound market in APAC and Indians are super keen to go uh, travel. Their, their travel appetite has increased dramatically first 2019 and they're keen to go to markets like UAE, UK and the US where it's easy for them to get visas but also top of mind and high growth is Thailand and Vietnam. Japanese because of the depreciation of the yen they're staying domestic so that market has moved from being the fifth largest domestic market to the second but when they are traveling they're keen to you know obviously return to the US and Hawaii but also explore closer markets like uh, South Korea, Thailand, Philippines. Um, Aussies are famous for their big trips. Um, they went hard on domestic during, you know, 2021 and 2022. And now we're seeing they pull back on domestic travel and they're keen to go into region with Bali and Indonesia being, you know, their um, top destination for the moment. Um, also UK, New Zealand, Fiji. And then we see within Southeast Asia, Singaporeans really wanting to stay close to home. They want to go to Malaysia, Indonesia, do more short and frequent trips. Um, Hong Kong and Taiwan, still very interested in Japan and China and Thailand. But you can see that like, again, for a brand, like listening to this, a marketeer, you can't treat one market the same. They are so diverse in terms of the preferences. Like what we're seeing is Aussies are back to those big international trips. Southeast Asians and Indians are intra and very like more short trips. And this is both culturally driven and preference driven. So you need to think about that as you market to the local destinations. It, there's still so much growth to be unlocked here. So it's a very exciting region to be investing in because the APAC traveler wants to get out and experience and share those moments with everyone. Yeah, and, and you've kind of touched uh, really in terms of sort of within the APAC market itself, the APAC traveler, uh, and, you know, uh, where they like to go. And it's diverse. The picture is very, very broad because there's a lot of uh, domestic travel still going on in some parts of APAC and less elsewhere. And then there's kind of the rest of the world. I was thinking a little bit and I, I, I can't recall if, if, if the research goes in this direction, but for the APAC traveler traveling outside of APAC, say into, into Europe or into the US, there's so much talk about sustainability and how we do it and how we do it better and greener and kinder. Um, where does that conversation sit with the APAC traveler? Is there the same focus on that topic? Is that something that came to light during the research? We have only high level data and what it shows is that it's a factor, but at this point they're not willing to pay more. So when it comes down to making a decision and if it's versus one hotel or one destination and they're you know offering exactly the same thing at the same price, if one's more sustainable, then yes, we see a pivot to that hotel. But then we're not at the point yet, but I think it will come where people will pay more for sustainability. That being said, when they get there, they're very keen to experience, you know, their destination um, from a sustainable perspective, as in experience local businesses, local charities that are giving back to wildlife and, and make that full package, you know, on the ground. And they are sensitive, of course, to like any type of waste. So once they're there, the experience still needs to be even if you have indicated sustainable or not, they're going to be aware that, you know, you're using plastic in the wrong ways. You're not giving a sustainable option in terms of cleaning or you aren't growing your own veggies. So I think they're highly educated um, in terms of what they want from travel places. Um, it's 
one of many things that is is relevant and and top of mind but it's not the only thing it's it's uh, well uh, this is all uh, to do obviously with the continued sort of education in and around uh, that particular topic as well and it's just good to know that it is certainly at the forefront i'm wondering sort of as we sort of come towards the end of the podcast i'm wondering if you have um, a couple of sort of best practices or user cases maybe to highlight or that were highlighted or or uh, through the research itself if there's anything in particular that you feel the audience might benefit from learning about that we haven't already touched upon Yeah, I think in terms of um, brands that I feel like have really come forward in, in advancing from a technological and digital standpoint, Singapore Airlines is a standout there. Um, from end-to-end customer experience and booking process, the way they've invested on their online platforms, their um, their use of first-party data to make sure that the, it's ex- the customer experience is personalised the whole way. You can choose your videos, you can, you know, um, continue that journey from one flight to the other and have your own um, log of what you've watched before. Uh, you can make payments like tap and pay on some of the aircrafts now, which I think is just incredible. Um, so I think they're doing a standout job in terms of end-to-end customization. The other thing I think, you know, I, we see a lot of um, global online players or, or, or online players being probably the most sophisticated as it comes to digitization and also using AI. Um, uh, Goat is doing a brilliant job in terms of bringing forward personalization and then marrying, you know, any productivity or AI capabilities into their advertising to make sure that they are able to um, offer real-time prices to customers and also are in market in real-time offering customers what they need when they want it. I think to close, you know, AI has been a big conversation this year and, and um, you know, we're doing a lot in around um, launching products like Performance Max, friendly known as PMAX, um, and also auto bidding to help advertisers so that they can scale and use insights and our tools to provide marketing at scale and help you localize at scale and help you create video content at scale. So yeah, I mean, I'm just been very impressed whether it's small or big players at how people are jumping on the digital journey uh, and giving consumers a more seamless end-to-end experience. I think we've just reached a natural uh, stop to some extent. Uh, it's just, I'm delighted. I'm really delighted to let the audience or remind our audience that you indeed will be taking to the center stage at ITB Asia and, and present uh, even more of these findings to our attendees there. I guess as a last question, what might you expect personally from, from ITB Asia this year? What are you hoping for? Uh, I think it's going to be a great few days, a great networking, um, swapping of insights, uh, learning about new products and innovations. It, you know, you're really bringing together everyone from offline to online. So I think it's just going to be a great few days of positive energy, swapping, you know, tips and tricks. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's certainly what the team is hoping for. And we hope that you and the Google team have a fantastic ITB Asia alongside, of course, all the other uh, attendees. Thank you so, so much, Hermione. It's been absolutely fabulous to have you as our podcast hero today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Charlotte. Thanks, ITB. Thanks again also to our audience for listening. You can find many more Travel Hero podcasts on ITB's website. And we wish all our exhibitors and visitors a fantastic ITB Asia from October 26th till the 27th. As always, there is so much excitement about this event as we have just discussed, and we wish you all a great and productive few days. 
Next month, we'll focus on marketing and distribution trends for tour operators and travel agencies. We'll take a deep dive into the industry's continued recovery, and we will look at success stories in the sector. Till then, stay well and stay tuned.